Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our 10 a.m. service here at Citizens. Um, if I didn't get to see you last week, Happy New Year. I uh, can't believe it is 2023. Um, so good to see all of you. And uh, we have quite a few people here. Um, there's a lot of room at the 12 p.m. service. So, you know, feel free to uh, jump on that if you want. Uh, but as always, I have the privilege of bringing us God's word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 3, uh, verses 16, and then we're going to read until Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, so Matthew, the end of Matthew 3, uh, uh, verse 16, to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. If you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, the New International Version. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. This is the reading of God's word. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Amen. Let me say a quick prayer for us, and we'll get started. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. May you open uh, our ears and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, if you were with us for our New Year service last week, you know that we just launched a new sermon series to kick off the year, which I'm very excited about, called The Liturgical Life. Uh, where we're looking at the different practices, habits, routines, uh, rhythms that Jesus centered his life around. And our hope is that throughout this series, we will learn to live the way Jesus lived and in so doing, become like Jesus. Become people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because whatever it is we're doing right now, however we're living right now, uh, obviously is not working. It's not producing more love and joy and peace. Uh, it's producing more fear, more anxiety, more depression, more exhaustion. You know, the American Psychological Association did a study at the end of 2022 that found that 31% of U.S. adults carry around symptoms of an anxiety disorder. With over a quarter of U.S. adults uh, reporting that they are so stressed in their daily life that they cannot seem to function at all. And we've all heard the definition of insanity. Insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. And yet this is exactly what we're doing. On one hand, I think a lot of us can tell that there's something that's clearly wrong with our souls. You know, there is something that's not right. There's a disturbance in the force. Okay, I, I just watched Star Wars for the first time, the OG Star Wars. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up for last time and use a lot of Star Wars. I realize that a lot of sayings that I've been saying are from the movie. So uh, we feel a disturbance in the force, okay? Um, we feel deeply disconnected from God, from other people. We feel lost, discontent, hypersensitive, insecure. And yet we continue to live our lives in such a way that keeps us in this perpetual state of disarray, but the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to live like this anymore. 
Jesus came into this world and he didn't just die for our sins. He showed us a new way to live. He showed us a blueprint for how to have a full, meaningful existence, a life of purpose and fulfillment and meaning. And guess what? Jesus did it with very little money, without a spouse, and with a tiny friend group. And this is inconceivable for us living in L.A. in 2022 because we thought that the secret to have a meaningful life was to make as much money as possible, was to get married and have kids, buy a home, and so forth. And yet Jesus shows us you don't need any of these things. And when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he's saying, let me show you how I did it. Let me show you how I organized my life. And so each week in this series, we're taking a different practice, a different rhythm that Jesus incorporated into his life. And we're going to ask three simple questions. How did Jesus practice it? How can this specific practice transform our lives? And how do we practice it ourselves? Okay, how did Jesus do it? What can the practice do for us? And how do we as people living in a completely different time and cultural context find a way to incorporate it into our lives, okay? And as I mentioned this last week, these practices aren't self-help. They're not uh, a way for us to get in good with God, to gain God's love or gain his favor. They're gifts given to us so that we can more deeply experience the love God already has for us in Christ. Every single person in this room, whether we know it or not, are desperately longing to be loved. At the end of the day, we're all here and we all live our lives desperately seeking love. And scripture tells us that the place we experience that love is in the presence of God for whom our souls were made. And these practices are like Google Maps for us. They're going to take us to that place, okay? Now, the first practice we're looking at today in our series is probably the most basic, most foundational practice uh, dare I say, the most necessary practice in our day and age, and it's the practice of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Henry Nouwen, who's one of the greatest spiritual thinkers of our day, said it's impossible to have a spiritual life without solitude. Um, C.S. Lewis, who's a famous Christian author, uh, has a famous book called The Screwtape Letters. It's religious satire, and it's written from the perspective of a senior demon, Uncle Screwtape, uh, who is writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, okay, his Padawan, all right, um, and, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, okay, but uh, basically, Screwtape is uh, just sharing all of his insight and knowledge as to what is the best way to pull human beings away from God, okay, and well, there's this chapter in the book called The Kingdom of Noise, and in it, Screwtape talks about how much he hates silence because he says in heaven, there's only going to be two things, music and silence. Anything that's not music is silence. And I, and I just thought that was very interesting because the implication is that the two ways we get to experience a slice of heaven on earth is through music, which I think we, we can all agree with, but also in silence. And in this chapter, Screwtape says, one surefire tactic to drive human beings away from God is to fill their lives with noise. Because he said, you won't even need to destroy them if you can distract them. My wife's biggest pet peeve is noise, okay? Uh, for some reason, we had kids, 
okay? They only have one volume setting, and it's loud, okay? And sometimes I'm trying to have a serious conversation with Carol at the dinner table, and one kid is screaming, someone's playing the piano, Encantos on TV, there's a toy that's just going off repeatedly somewhere, and it's comical because sometimes we'll still try to have a conversation, and, and by the end of the conversation, we're always just screaming at each other, okay? And, and we're screaming at each other, and at some point, somebody just says, you know, I'm so sorry, I can't hear anything you're saying right now. And this is the way the enemy works. This is how the enemy disconnects us from God. We can't hear God's voice because our lives are filled with noise. And it's crazy because C.S. Lewis wrote screw tape letters in 1942. This is when TVs had barely come on the scene. So if you thought life was noisy then, life is so noisy now. With the advent of smartphones, we are now physically attached to all the noise in the world 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are never disconnected from this endless stream of information, news, details about everyone's life. Now we have noise upon noise. It's not enough to just watch something. You're still on your phone while you're watching something because the TV is not enough. We need more noise. Uh, there was an article published in Medium in 2019 called The Death of Boredom. Uh, for you Gen Zers out there, uh, there was a time in history when sometimes you had nothing to do. Okay, you just, when you stood in line, you just stood in line. Okay, you just twiddled your fingers and you used your imagination. Okay, and, and what, the, what the article is talking about is how these days boredom just doesn't exist. Because there's always something to listen to, always something to watch, always something to consume, always an app you can fool around with, all at your fingertips. The average American, they say, spends five hours and 24 minutes on their mobile device every day. Five hours and 24 minutes. I know people who don't sleep five hours and 24 minutes. They say the average American will check their phone at least 96 times per day. That's once every 10 to 12 minutes. So if you're sitting here, you've are probably already done it once. Okay? They say the average American, uh, they, they actually say uh, over half of Americans say that they have a mini panic attack when their battery dips below 20%. Because what are we going to do when our phone shuts off and it's silent? What are we going to do for the next three hours when we don't know what's happening in the world, in all parts of the globe? What if we miss something, a text, an email, a tweet? And it's not the screen time itself. It's what the screen time is doing to us. And trust me, I, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know, I carry around an external battery pack because I, I don't want that many panic attacks. And yet every recent study on the effects of technology on mental health shows there is a definitive correlation between our screen time and anxiety, stress, and depression levels. And so you have to ask, is there a practice, is there a liturgy we can incorporate into our lives that gives us a fighting chance amidst all the noise, and there is. And it's the practice of silence and solitude. Intentional, quiet time alone with ourselves and God. It's creating space in our lives where you get away from people and distractions to be still in God's presence. Well, how did Jesus practice silence and solitude? Here's the first point, first question. How did Jesus practice it? 
And the text we're looking at today is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just been baptized. And the first thing he does is he goes to the wilderness immediately by himself. Okay, this is Jesus' coronation moment when the heavens open up. There's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And the first place Jesus goes is not to the masses, but to the wilderness. Okay, imagine if we brought a new staff member uh, on board and the first thing he or she said was, hey, I'm going to go away by myself for the next 40 days. Uh, We would say, great, have fun, don't come back. Okay? Because nobody does that. And yet this is what Jesus does. And the word for wilderness used in Matthew 4 is the Greek word, eremos. And that word can be translated wilderness, solitary place, lonely place, or my personal favorite, the quiet place. It's simply somewhere you go by yourself to be quiet in God's presence. Before Jesus did anything, before he performed one miracle, before he healed one person, he went to the Eremos. There was something about solitude that Jesus knew he needed in order to do what he came to do. And it's not just one time. When you read the Gospels, throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he's always retreating to the Eremos. He's always going back to the solitary place. It's like Jesus' little secret spot. It's the place he draws his power. Every chance he gets, he's always running off by himself. Let me just read you an excerpt from Mark 1. We'll put it on the screen. This is verses 29 to 35, and it says this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, Eremos, where he prayed. This is Mark 1. So this is Jesus' first day on the job. He's just spent 40 days in the wilderness by himself in the Eremos. Day one, comes back and hits the ground running. He's healing everyone. He heals like people who are sick. He's casting out demons. And the, the entire town is waiting on his doorstep being like, you got to heal me. There's more you have to do. And what does he do? He goes right back to the Eremos. 40 days of solitude in the wilderness gets him one day in the real world. And then he's like, I got to go back. One day. And this is Jesus, the son of God, needing to get away just after one busy day. How much more do you and I need silence and solitude in our lives? And here's the thing. I know some of you are saying, this, that's, that would be impossible for me. Like, I, I can't get away. Like, I don't have the luxury to be able to do that. You know how many people I have to manage? I got young kids. I have so many demands. My job is stressful. There's no way I could do this. I guarantee you Jesus was busier than you were. I don't know, just a guess. But he was, like, saving the world, you know. So I'm pretty sure he was busier than you were. And what's interesting is that when you read the Gospels, as Jesus becomes busier, 
as he becomes more popular, as he becomes more in demand, as his platform grows, as his responsibilities grow, he doesn't withdraw to the Eremos less. He withdraws to the Eremos more. You would think Jesus, as he's getting busier and more popular, you would think he would try to ride that momentum, right? Like he's had a breakthrough point. He's found his big break. So you would think he would run hard, run fast, just get on the grind, rest later. And yet throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus at the height of his popularity just stop on a dime and go back to a solitary place. One example of it is in Luke 5, 15 to 16. I'll also put this on the screen. And this is what we read. Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more. So he's becoming more popular. So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The busier he got, the more he fought for his alone time with God. Solitude was not a luxury. It was not, um, solitude was a necessity. It was not optional for him. It was the life source that sustained his entire ministry. It was the place he drew his power. Okay? Now, two quick caveats about this. I know a lot of the introverts in the room are like, amen, hallelujah, yes, right? Like, boom, I got this practice down. You don't need to tell me I need my me time. Amen. And you're going to try to use that every time, like, your extroverted friend or your extroverted spouse is like, where are we going? What are we doing tonight? You're going to be like, Jesus withdrew to the Aramos. <laughs> I'm going back to the Aramos. Okay? Um, what we have to realize, though, is that noise comes in many different forms. For extroverts, who like to keep our lives busy with activities, events, vacations, people. It's pretty obvious when your world gets noisy. But there is a way that you can be alone and still not be practicing silence and solitude. Because you can distract yourself just as much with Netflix, with work, with social media. You can be by yourself and not be connected to God. Silence and solitude is creating intentional time and space for you to be alone with yourself and God. Okay, so that's the first caveat. The second caveat that's kind of related to the first is that solitude is not the same thing as isolation or detachment. They both imply being alone, but isolation is unhealthy. Okay, there are times when we will purposely isolate ourselves from community, from people, because we want to put up our walls. You know, we don't want to get hurt. We want to distance ourselves from people. We don't want anybody around in our lives. But one thing you have to understand is that the purpose of solitude is so that you can love others better. The whole purpose of solitude actually draws us toward others in love, not away from them. The very reason Jesus constantly withdrew to the Eremos during his ministry was that so he could love and serve people better. Well, what exactly happens in the Eremos? What happens in the solitary place? Which brings me to the second point. How can silence and solitude transform our lives? How can this specific practice, what can this do for us? And it comes down to two things. I'll also put this on the screen. It exposes our insecurity, and it solidifies our identity. 
Silence and solitude exposes our insecurity and it solidifies our identity. First, it exposes our insecurity. Why do people play background music at parties? Have you ever been to a party where there's no music? It's so awkward. Right? It's, it's like it makes you feel vulnerable. It makes you feel naked. Every person who's ever led a small group in the room knows what I'm talking about. Hey, does anyone have anything to share today? It's like death. You become hyper aware of your breathing. You become hyper aware of other people's breathing, of every sound in the room. And it's so funny, right? Because in small group, first, it's so loud. Everyone's laughing because you're eating. And the moment you have discussion questions, it's like very vulnerable. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but we have a time of confession of sin every week. And that's the only part of our service where we cut all the sound completely. Okay, even during the call to worship, you'll hear a light little synth pad happening in the background. There's even music when I come up and we're giving our tithes and offering. But during the confession of sin, that's the one part of our service we go dead silent. And I'm not sure if you've experienced this, but uh, maybe during that time you felt a little bit naked and felt a little exposed and vulnerable because you can hear everything. You can hear people going to the bathroom sometimes. And it's like, this feels weird. That's the point. That's why we do it. For some of us, that confession of sin is probably the only minute of utter quiet time you get during the course of a week. Because that's what practicing silence does. It actually draws attention to the ugliness. It draws attention to the voices in your head. It draws attention to your anxiety, to your fear, to your insecurity. In silence, that's when you start to remember things. You start to remember that one comment your boss made in passing that made you feel small. In silence, that's the moment you remember, oh, there's that person I've been meaning to text, but I've just been avoiding it. I don't want to deal with him or her. You start to remember that thing your friend did that really upset you. You know what's very interesting? Jesus goes to the Eremos after his baptism, and you know what's waiting for him there? The devil. That was the last line we read. Spirit led him to the wilderness where he was encountered by the devil. Silence and solitude is absolutely a place of encounter with God, but it's also an encounter with the worst parts of yourself. And most of us would rather not face the worst parts of ourselves. This is why we try to stay busy. We turn on a show. We go on vacation. We create noise. But Jesus understood that you can only depend on the Spirit's power when you're first able to acknowledge your own vulnerability and weakness, when you first see yourself naked for who you really are, and nothing does that like silence and solitude. So that's the first thing. It exposes our insecurity. But the second thing is that it solidifies our identity. Jesus goes into the Aramos immediately after he hears the words, the voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He receives his identity and then he has to go straight to the solitary place where that identity is refined and tested. It's like he doesn't go and become Jesus 
the healer. He doesn't go and become Jesus, the savior of the world. He goes to the solitary place where it's just him by himself because he knows only there can his identity truly be refined and tested. When I am at home by myself, there are many things I do that I can do that I would never do in public. Okay, my wife knows this because she has a lot of embarrassing footage of me. Okay, that will never see the light of day because I have a lot of embarrassing footage of her. Okay, and we blackmail each other. Okay, and so at home, you can completely be utterly yourself. There is nobody to impress. There's no pressure to perform. There's no mask to put on. It's who you are outside of your positions, outside of your degrees, outside of your relationships, outside of your achievements, outside of the identities that people have placed on us. It's just me. And especially in this world we live in that is so public, where our public persona just starts to merge with our private persona, where who we are in public, we start to believe that is who we are. Because that's who everyone sees, and that's where we spend most of our time, in the public sphere. To be by yourself in silence is to be confronted with the very real question, who am I when nobody's watching? Who am I outside of the image I've perfectly crafted for myself? Because in the Eremos, it's just you and God. There's nobody around. And once that false self is deconstructed, it's only then that God begins to reconstruct our true self. It's only then that God begins to show you that the truest thing about you is, that you're, is not that you're a mom or that you're not a mom. The truest thing about you is not that you're a CEO or an artist or an influencer. The truest thing about you is that you're a child of God that you are deeply loved and cared for. It's in the silence that we hear the still small voice of God saying, I don't love you more because of what you've accomplished and I don't love you any less because of what you haven't. I love you as you are. You know, in a courtroom, there's always a point when the prosecution for days, weeks, months has been trying to prove, uh, you know, prove their case. Right, where they are, they've spent all their time trying to justify a certain verdict, and they work and work, and there's so many words that are said, so many people who are questioned, and then at the end, what's the phrase that sums everything up? They say, the prosecution rests. There's nothing left to say. There's left, nothing left to prove. Every day, you and I are out there in the world trying to justify our existence. Trying to prove to our parents, our families, our friends, everyone around us that we matter. That our lives matter. We try to control people's situations. We try to prove to everyone that we're worthy. And in silence, God says, you can rest now. nothing more to say. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to speak anymore. You can rest. Henry Nouwen has this great quote. I'll put it on the screen. He says, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. 
Jesus himself entered this furnace. There he was tempted with three compulsions of the world, to be relevant, to turn stones into loaves, to be spectacular, to throw yourself down, and to be powerful. I will give you all these kingdoms. There he affirmed God as the only source of his identity. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Solitude is the place of great struggle and the great encounter, the struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. So good. So this is what silence can do for us. Which brings me to the final question. How do we, as people who live in this noisy city, in a city like L.A. in 2022, start to incorporate this practice into our lives? Okay, because we're living in a different world than Jesus lived in. And yet, I believe there is a way we can incorporate silence and solitude into our lives. And let me just give us four practical ways. Okay, number one, reserve. One of the things in our household that we've realized as life has gotten busier is that if it's not in the Google Calendar, it doesn't exist, okay? Put it in the calendar, and only then does it have any legitimacy. No matter how many times Carol and I say we're gonna do a date night, unless we put it in the calendar, it's just a nice idea. It's not gonna happen, okay? It seems weird that you would need to reserve time and space to be silent, like, it's like to reserve time and space to essentially do nothing at all, and yet you do. You do. Jesus had to do it. He had to fight for it. Because unless you make the space, it will not come to you because there are just too many things that will vie for your attention, too many things to do. So unless you reserve a time and space, it won't happen. So number one, reserve. Number two, remove. Remove all distractions. Okay, the mistake that I make sometimes when I try to practice silence and solitude is that I, I take my phone with me. And I use the excuse like, oh, I need my Bible on my phone. No, 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 no. Okay, because what happens? A text comes in, email comes in, and you're like, ah, okay, I really got to answer it right now. There's no way that we will not be distracted. So number two, we remove it. Number three, Relax. Get in a comfortable position. Go for a walk. Breathe. And one of the first things I notice when I practice silence and solitude is how fast I'm breathing. Because I, I sit down, I'm running at 100 miles an hour, and I finally sit down to just have utter silence, and I, I can tell that I'm breathing really fast. You know that feeling when you go like watch a really loud concert and all of a sudden you walk outside and there's like a ringing in your ear because it was just so noisy. We got to relax. We have to pay attention to our bodies, pay attention to our breathing, slow down, take a deep breath in, breathe out a few times. And then finally we receive. We reserve, we remove, relax. But most importantly, then we receive. And I know sometimes when you, hear, when you, you know, hear people say, like, just receive, that can sound a little kooky because it's like, what, what am I waiting for? Am I waiting for God to speak in an audible voice? Like, am I waiting for something to happen? Is a bird going to, like, fly by my face and, like, make me feel like God is listening to me? And honestly, 
especially if you're new to silence and solitude, I would say just sit there. Don't go in with any kind of agenda. Don't think at the end of this, I'm going to have more clarity. Just sit there. If your thoughts wander, that's okay too. Just let it be. There's nothing you have to accomplish during that time, and that's the point. You don't have to be productive. You don't have to perform. There's nothing you have to get out of it. Just sit there. And obviously, as you get more comfortable, you can begin to incorporate some of the other practices. Okay? And we're going to talk about it throughout these 10 weeks. Prayer, fasting, um, reading the word. But especially at the beginning, I would say just take five minutes Five to ten minutes. Eighty percent of Americans, the first thing they reach for in the morning is their phone. And eighty percent of Americans, the last thing they put down at night is their phone. Five minutes of just utter silence. Some people like to use a simple word or phrase that helps kind of keep them centered during that time, like Heavenly Father or Lord Jesus or have mercy on me. The goal in that period of time, however long it is, five, ten, fifteen minutes, is to just receive. Reserve a time and space, remove distractions, relax, get in a comfortable position, and simply receive. A couple things I want to say about this. A lot of us in here are Asian Americans. Okay, so when we talk about spiritual disciplines, it's just our natural instinct to be like, all right, let's do this. How do you do it? Okay, mm, reserve, remove. Yeah, like we, we, we like to check things off the to-do list, okay? We like to treat the practices like, like, a, like a rule, rule book we have to follow, okay? There are no hard and fast rules. Choose a rhythm that works for you in this season of life, in this stage of life, understanding there's going to be interruptions, understanding it's going to be hard. There's a story in Mark 6 that I love where the disciples have had just a long day of ministry, and they come to Jesus, and they tell him everything that they've done. And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, is like, great, come away with me to a solitary place. Let's go to the Aramos together. Because he knows, like, you've done a lot, you've been busy, let's go. As they're going to the Aramos, they see all these crowds of people, thousands of people who are hungry. And this is the point where Jesus says he looks upon them and he, they look like sheep without a shepherd. And so he has compassion on them. And then what does he do? He feeds them. He feeds them. And then after he feeds them, he sends the disciples on a boat to Bethsaida. And then what does Jesus do? He then goes up to a mountain by himself where he prays. And I love just the realism of that story because that is such a perfect depiction of life. Sometimes when we carve out time for silence and solitude, things will happen. That's okay. Just when our schedules start to slow down, our kids will get sick. Something will happen at work. Something will go wrong in our home. There will be an issue we have to deal with. That's okay. You have to show yourselves a lot of grace, and we have precedent for it in Scripture. And yet, even more so, we have to fight for silence and solitude because it's the only way the chaos of this life won't crush us or cripple us. And the more we practice it, I guarantee you, the more we will find ourselves comfortable in that space, comfortable in the silence. Right? The longer you serve as a small group leader, the longer you're, you're fine with awkward silences. Sometimes I've had small group leaders, they smile during the silence. They're like, I ain't going anywhere. We're doing this until someone shares. Something Carol and I love to do when we go to restaurants is that we'll look at um, 
pairs of people sitting together and we'll guess which date it is, right? We'll be like, that's definitely first date right there. They can't stop talking, right? Because on a first date, you don't want silence. It's awkward. So your mind is like, what do I say next? What do I ask about next? You're just constantly trying to fill the silence. But once in a while, you'll see a couple sitting there and they're an older couple, and they look like they've been married for 40, 50 years. They're just eating a sandwich, not saying anything. And it's like years of intimacy that's been building, that has been created. The more we get comfortable in silence and solitude, the more our relationship with God moves from being transactional to being deeply personal to the point where you could go on a walk with God without a prayer request and just sit with him, walk with him, be with him. Robert Mulholland says that the practice of silence is the radical reversal of our cultural tendencies. Silence is bringing ourselves to a point of relinquishing to God our control of our relationship with God. I love that so much. Relinquishing to God our control of our relationship with God. Silence is a reversal of the whole possessing, controlling, grasping dynamic of trying to maintain control of our own existence. Silence is the inner act of letting go. You know, last summer, uh, I did a wedding, and uh, the parts of weddings always that get me is obviously two, two sections. Uh, when the father of the bride walks his daughter down, and then the father-daughter dance, of course, because, you know, I'm selfish and I'm thinking about myself, obviously, right? Um, but at this particular wedding, uh, the part that really got me um, was the mother-son dance, okay? And there's this moment when the MC asks the mom and the son to come out on the dance floor, and they were queuing up the music, okay? And they couldn't get the music going for some reason, and there was just this moment of silence. And it's quiet, and this mother and this son, they're just staring at each other. It couldn't have been more than maybe 20 seconds. And they're just looking at each other, and it's like, you know, there's so much to say, and yet there's nothing to say. It would almost do a disservice in that moment to try to say something because the silence spoke so blaringly loud. And really it was just a son staring at the first person who ever loved him, who loved him before he spoke a word, who loved him before he proved himself to be a man, who loved him before he accomplished or achieved anything, who loved him. And in that moment, it would have been a great disservice to try to say something to the person who has been with him his entire life. In silence and solitude, it's just us and God. The one who loved us before we could speak a word. The one who loved us before we proved ourselves before we went to good schools and got degrees, got a job, before we became doctors and lawyers, 
the one who has loved us from the very beginning, the one who loved us so much that he gave his own life on a cross so that in our moments of silence and solitude, we would know that nothing can separate us from his love. Let's pray. In the spirit of this sermon and this practice, I just want to take a moment of just utter silence. Don't think about anything you have to do after this service. No agenda, nothing you need God to fix. Just sit. God, we open ourselves up to you. Help us to be attentive to your still small voice, reminding us that we don't need to perform. Doesn't matter what other people think of us. Reminding us here that the truest thing about us is that we're loved by our Creator. Thank you, God, for the gift of silence and solitude. We pray that in the busyness of life, in this life where there is so much activity and so many things to do, we ask for your grace to give us moments of silence and quiet, to be alone with you to rest in your presence, to rest in the reality of who you are. We thank you for this word today. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.